and welcome to the True Gospel Morning Show, which is Boyetta D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly thankful for all of you who are coming on right now. Going to go ahead and give you the warning. We're experiencing technical difficulties today with the internet access we got over here. So you may get a little bit of a delay or may get some jumps from time to time. Hopefully we'll get that resolved throughout the course of our show on today. But we're certainly grateful for every person who is coming on live on this morning. Uh, sorry for not not being on um, on the call on the on the call. Listen to me. It's not like I'm at work uh, for not being on on Friday. Um, had some sickness and disease flowing through um, the house on Friday, and so had to take care of some um, take care of some people on on over the um, over Friday. And so we're grateful that we were able to you know get the sickness and disease out of the house. Um, but as a result, we're able to get on on Friday with you guys. Um, we certainly are grateful for. Um, this opportunity, but um, nevertheless, to be able to be among you guys on today. Got a jam-packed show in store for you on today. We're going to be talking about the lo loneliness ambassador who was appointed in the state of New York to help combat loneliness. Uh, we're going to be talking about submitting to the king and what it means to be truly submitted to the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to answer the question from the chat, what day is the Sabbath day? And we're gonna praise, gonna um, give praise and honor and glory to God over the fact that the actor strike is finally over, and the actors are getting back to work, and we can get back to watching some of our favorite shows on our different streaming platforms and our broadcast networks. And so, uh, certainly grateful for all of that. But we are going to start our day off, continuing our series um, through the book Gods at War. Let me flip the camera around so you guys can see what we're talking about. Um, we're going to continue our series in, um, in Gods at War as we're talking about the God of Achievement on today in the Temple of Power. And so, again, we're grateful for every person who's coming on the live and hope that we're able to say something to you today that will edify your souls. Um, and to those who don't believe, uh, continue to please um, uh, continue to uh, join us in the chat. As always, you can give us any questions, comments, or concerns that you want that you have in the chat box. We just ask that you keep it classy so that we can stay on um, on on tickety talk. Uh, but again, you feel free to ask ask any question, comment, or concern that you may have. Just please keep it classy so that way we can stay on the live on today. We're gonna start off with a word of prayer, and then we're gonna jump into God's at war. Heavenly Father, we come before you saying thank you for another blessed day in your presence. Lord God, we're just thankful that you thought it not robbery to give us this opportunity to worship you in spirit and truth. We're asking, Lord God, that every word that comes out of my mouth be all of me. I mean, all of you and none of me. Uh, Lord God, we're asking that you decrease us in flesh, that you may increase in spirit. Render a word to your people that will edify, magnify, deliver, and set free. Lord God, we're just thankful on today. Thankful that you show us time and time again uh, of, of your goodness, your grace, your kindness, your mercy, your forgiveness, your patience, uh, your love, Lord God. We're, we're just grateful on today. And we're asking God that you just continue to just shower down your blessings upon us. Continue to be a blessing upon each and every one of us, Lord God. Continue to show us the peace that surpasses all understanding on today. Lord God, protect those from danger seen and unseen. Be with those who are dealing with the conflict in Israel. Be among us who are dealing with things right here at home. Lord God, we're just thankful because you. we know that besides you there is no other. And even though we're going through, we may go through the valley at times, Lord God, we can go through the valley with confidence knowing that you are with us. Lord God, we're asking and praying that you just continue to be with everyone in a, in a mighty way. And we lift this show up to you right now. 
that you may get all the glory, honor, and praise. And we thank your son, Jesus Christ, for paving the way for us all by dying on the cross and rising again, that we may be called the children of God and have his righteousness credited to us so that we can, have the, the, we can be exchanged out of an eternal darkness and into eternal light. We're so grateful and thankful and give your name, praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, <clears throat> so far, we have been in um, looking at the book Gods at War. We have traveled through the God of Pleasure, the Temple of Pleasure, looking at the gods of food, sex, and entertainment. We're now in the Temple of Power, and we're about to exit that temple today um, as we've looked at the, um, the gods of success and the, gods of, and the god of money. And today we're going to be looking at the god of achievement, which is going to kind of sound like the other two, but there's a, but I love the different spin that he puts on this one to show us this different god, um, <clears throat> the god of achievement in the temple of power. Um, in the in in the book he says there is something within us that loves to get her done. In the Western world, it's simply part of our DNA. Many of the first settlers of North America were very devout Christians who believed that God honors hard work and determined effort. The United States of America has been an experiment in freedom and exercise in liberating people to go as far as their work will take them and to prosper as well. The problem is the danger of exchanging one king for another. If you've read this far, I would hope you agree that we're built to bow. We must find someone or something to serve. It's not surprising that in our culture, personal achievement is a very powerful and alluring idol. Think about our experience as children, Cub Scouts to Boy Scouts, Brownies to Girl, the Girl Scouts. They, these are wonderful organizations, by the way, that teach us any number of positive values, in particular, the value of achievement. You perform a task, you win a merit badge, go on a hike and fulfill the given requirements, and you earn the colorful camping patch. Maybe you've been a scout or a member of a similar group. Do you remember how great it feels when the scoutmaster pins that patch to your uniform? Or maybe in high school you got the letterman jacket for playing a sport, and every year you worked hard to add pins and patches to your jacket to show your achievements. Many kids, especially the high achievers, learn to find their identity and value in what they achieve. They put their hope in what they might one day be able to achieve. And so, they, and so the vest wrapped with badges, the jacket covered in patches, the trophies on the shelf, the ribbons, the medals, the report cards, the diplomas, the degrees, the promotions, the raises can become idols to that, we bow, that we bow down to. They represent what we have accomplished through hard work and dedication. An idol could just as easily be a daily checklist that is completed or a kitchen that, is all, that always stays clean or perfectly manicured um, lawn. Obviously, there is nothing wrong with any of these achievements. In fact, these achievements, uh, these achievements can be acts of worship that glorify God. But when our lives are all about getting things done, we can find that there is not much room for God. Instead, our approach to worshiping God can be checking off a box on our to-do list labeled go to church. Um, let me see. 
The God of achievement distracts us from following Jesus by distracting us with all the things that need to be done. How often do we live with good intentions of spending time with Jesus and turning our heart toward him only to find at the end of the day that the, that's the only thing on our checklist that we never got around to. There are a few reasons why the God of achievement so often wins the daily battle for our hearts. The God of achievement offers a method of measurement. For many of us, it is much easier to give our time to the tangible. We like to see what we got done. I can see that the house got clean, or the grass got mowed, or the contract got finished, or the budget got balanced, or the groceries got bought. I, when I get through spending time with Jesus, I don't see immediate results. But when I paint a room, the change is obvious. When I spend time in prayer and worship, there isn't immediate visual evidence that I've accomplished something. But when I balance the budget, I've got something to show for it. Martha was distracted by the preparations. And she's, he's talking about Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, um, when, when Jesus goes to the house and uh, Martha's wanting to get everything prepared for while Mary's like, no, Jesus is here, come holler at your boy. Martha was distracted by the preparations. This is the tyranny of the urgent. It's the list of things that need to be done right now. The most important marbles never seem to fit in the jar. Notice that what Martha was doing wasn't evil or sinful. In fact, what she was doing was good because she was doing it for Jesus. But Jesus says that what Mary had chosen was better. What we are doing may be good, but the good is bad when there is something better. Once again, we see that, the, that many of the gods that battle for our hearts don't try to lure us with what is obviously wrong or overtly sinful. The issue of idolatry comes down to one word choice. We've heard it from Moses. We've heard it from Joshua. We've heard it from Elijah. Now we hear it from Jesus. He commends Mary for the choice that she made. For many of us, our tendency is to look at our lives as a checklist of things to do. Our tendency is to think that if I get X, Y, and Z done, then I will have accomplished everything that I want to accomplish in life. And we have different things that we, that we use as measurements to determine whether or not we have achieved whatever it is that we're trying to achieve. When, he's, when he spoke in the book about the merit badges, that really hit home for me. Because I can remember, I can't remember, I can't remember exactly what grade it was. But I remember there being a time where um, I had won all these different awards um, in school. Um, I was the top in my class in every subject. So math, science, social studies, the whole, the whole, I ran the whole board all year long. And they gave us these pins. And the pins, again, just symbolized the fact that you, you did all this stuff. I was so proud of what I had accomplished that I went and got a vest that I used that I wore at church all the time. And I stuck all those pins on my vest and I wore that vest to school. Proud as proud as all get out because I had I had achieved the what the, the impossible, I guess. And I was so proud of myself. 
I stuck those things on my chest and I was wearing that thing around like I was a soldier, <laughs> had come home from war. Look at all my little badges of what I had accomplished throughout this year. I was mad proud of that. I can remember where, you know, I had all the different trophies for, for all the different things that I had done throughout the, throughout the years. I remember I had even won a trophy that I didn't even know existed. One day, my, my mom shows up to the house one day with this big behind trophy that's top, that's like the, I'm the top kid in the school for the, like the whole school. And I'm like, what is this? And she's like, they said that you had won this award and they brought it to me. And so I'm bringing it to you. I'm like, I don't even know what this is, but you talking about, I was so enamored by that award. I was, I basically was bowing down to it as as, in a, as a, a monument to my success, a monument to my achievements, a monument to my, um, to my, um, to my success in everything that I had done over the, um, over that, over the course of my, um, over the course of my academic career. And over the course of my life, I continued living in that same mantra, trying to climb the ladders to get to the, um, to be the most successful person in whatever I put my hands to. And I enjoyed it. It wasn't something that I was feeling pressured to do. It wasn't something that I was feeling like, I, oh my God, if I don't do this, I'm going to, you know, fall apart or I'm going to, people are going to think differently of me. Like I enjoyed the pursuit. And so as I'm climbing these ladders, I'm, I'm making, I'm doing the success, I'm getting the A's and all that type of stuff. Like I'm feeling really good about it uh, for myself. But eventually, eventually the burnout began to set in the older that I got. Because I was beginning to realize that, yeah, I'm getting all these grades, but for what? Because the same, the same grades that I'm getting in order to pass the classes are the, are people are getting worse grades than me. And yet they're passing these classes and they're having a lot more fun. And for me, that was becoming problematic because like, dude, what am I doing all this for? Because nobody cares. Nobody cares that I made the, the top grades in the class. No, no, um, no person that's going to hire me is going to care that I made all these grades. No person that's, that, you know, that, 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 um, that I show my degree to is going to care whether I got a 4.0 or a 2.0. They're just going to care that I passed the class. So I then exchanged that achievement for now job success. I'm trying to climb the ladders of success on my jobs trying to climb the ladders of success here and there. And in doing so, I, I wanted the certificates. I wanted the trophies. I wanted the awards. I wanted the employees of the month. I wanted all those different accolades. And again, what the God of Achievement does is it puts a list in front of us and says, unless you complete this checklist, you will not be a good person. Unless you complete this checklist, you will not have arrived. Unless you completed this checklist, you will not be the person that people look up to. You will not be successful. You will not be rewarded. And as a result, we can find ourselves worshiping at the feet of the God of achievement. We can even do so much. We can do this in, the, in, in, our, in our faith walk where rather than God actually, ha actually us having a deeper relationship with him, deepening our relationship with God, instead we look at the things that we do for God as a list of things to check off, to check off. So I check off going to church, I check off reading my Bible, I check off prayer, I check off reading something great, I check off listening to, um, 
to um uh to podcast into into gospel music. All these things become a list of things that I'm doing, and more often than not, we're doing that in an attempt to get God to open up his hands to us. Lord God, I want you to give me a blessing, so if I complete this checklist, then you're obligated to give me things. I can't tell you how many pastors I've heard over the years that that have said, the reason why you're not being blessed is because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. If you would do what you're supposed to do, God would then bless you. And so people then get get in the rat race of, being in church and being a part of ministries and doing all these things and burning themselves out, running their fingers into the dirt in an attempt to try to get God to give them something. And in doing so, they miss Christ. All so that they can have their checklist completed in hopes that God will give them something, um, something that they're looking for from him. And so God is trying to show us today as we're examining the God of achievement, that we have to be ever so careful that we're not putting anything that we're achieving over deepening a relationship with God. Even deepening a relationship with God can become idolatrous when we put the things that we do for God above God himself. As if the things we're doing for God are much more important to God than God himself. The book says, when we worship the God of achievement, getting things done and getting things done right becomes more important than almost anything or anyone else. In Psalm 46.10, the Lord reminds us to be still and know that I am God. It's hard to worship the God of achievement and be still and worship the Lord God at the same time. It's difficult for you to take the time to be still and know that the Lord is God If it's difficult for you to take the time and be still and know that the Lord is God, that should be a warning sign. The rest of that verse in Psalm 46 goes on to say, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When we slow down long enough to know that the Lord is God, we are reminded of his sovereignty. He's got the whole world in his hands. Can I encourage you next time to find yourself being critical of others or especially hard on yourself? To remember Mary and choose what is better, take a deep breath, be still, know that the Lord is God. How many times have we been so distracted that we've missed a divine moment? How many things does God long to say to us, but he keeps getting our voicemail because we're too busy to pick up? It's idolatry of a dangerous sort because it's shot through with virtue and traditional values. Work hard. Don't be like that loafer, Mary. Who's going to get this stuff done? I wonder how important that stuff was to Martha after her friend had been crucified, resurrected, and taken up to heaven. I wonder what she would have given for just a few moments to sit at his feet. Mary has chosen what is better. There's a choice we can make every single day when we choose to make our relationship with God more important than anything else on the calendar or to-do list. I know I've already said this, but I want to be clear. Working hard and achieving goals are an important part of a God-glorifying life, but they are not life. They are not even a measuring stick for the worth of life. When we give them our achievements, our soul, 
they become one more false god, a great cluster of merit badges melted into a golden calf. Ooh, God, that struck a nerve. Remember, the people had asked for gods who will go before us in Exodus 32 and 1. That's what we want our achievements to do, to pave the way as we move forward in life. And when Aaron's group had made the idol, they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. It seems crazy. How could they make something, then give it credit for where they had come? But that's the illusion of achievement. We begin to believe in what we've done, but it's more than that. What we've done begins to define who we are. We are our achievements. When you meet other adults these days, they introduce themselves with name and business. Hi, I'm Kyle. I'm a pastor. Hi, I'm Judy. I'm an interior designer. I know that's just how we talk, but our jobs becoming almost hyphenated to our names, which of course is how surnames began. John the Miller became John Miller. Peter the Baker became Peter Baker. Achievements are a good thing until they become our gods. They can help make this world a better place, but in the end, we can't put our faith in them because they shrivel up like all the other stuff in the world and they are blown away. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. A few years ago, a group of senior citizens, all at least 95 years old, were asked this question. If you had to live life all over again, what would you do differently? They weren't given multiple choice answers, but allowed to say whatever they were thinking. Their responses were varied, of course, but the three things that dominated the replies were as follows. If I had to live life all over again, I would reflect more. If I had to live life all over again, I would risk more. If I had to live life all over again, I would do more things than I, that, that would live on after I'm dead. I believe there is deep wisdom to be gained from the observations of this world's experienced sojourners. What they're saying us, to us here is, I wish I had slowed down a little. I wish I hadn't always played it safe, but had really gone for it occasionally. And I wish I had invested myself not in these rusty merit badges, but in eternal realities. If you're an achievement addict, consider this your wake-up call. Stop to reflect to think about who you are and who you will be when all the earthly accomplishments have dried up and blown away. Consider the words of Jesus to Martha and the hard-learned lesson from Chuck Colson. And don't just choose what is good. Choose what is better. For an overachiever, hard-driven by accomplishment, going to prison is like stripping a junkie of his narcotics. Chuck Colson had to learn to do nothing. His thought of his father's teachings again take on any task, no matter how menial. Well, he'd gone from practicing law to prison laundry, but he also was writing. He found himself counseling other prisoners. What a fresh experience that was, just helping men who couldn't read or write. He came to realize that what he had really liked was serving others. 
the old ideals hadn't changed. He believed in America and in hard working to make it better, but this time he wasn't working hard for the sake of achievement and self-advancement. This time, the hard work was an act of worship for the glory of God. Even so, from the world's perspective, he had no future, not after public shame and imprisonment. He didn't understand that God had his own plans and timetables. Um, Chuck, who had thrown over his idols, loved the quote, mine, that belongs to me. That's God speaking. Because he understood that life was not ultimately defined by what he had done, but by who he belonged to. And so again, saying all that to say that we as the people of God must be, must be mindful and careful that we are not putting ourselves in a position where we are allowing our achievements and our accomplishments to supersede the God that we worship. Whether we, re, whether we, some, whether we realize it overtly or covertly, a lot of us have a tendency to put our thoughts, to put our achievements, to put our accomplishments, to put the things that we have done above a living and a risen Savior who accomplished the greatest thing that could ever be done for the entire universe. So there's nothing that we can do that can measure up to what God has done for us. And because he loves us, that puts us in a position to be able to look at his accomplishment and say to ourselves, God, I thank you for achieving the impossible for me. I know I don't have to work to get God to open his hand. I don't have to work to get God to see me. I don't have to work to get God to know me. God already knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb. My righteousness is but a filthy rag before a righteous God. And these Things that I achieve in my life, they do not define who I am. I can achieve greatness. And, and, and I tell everybody, achieve greatness. Do great things. Shoot, shoot for your dreams. But don't allow those things to become the thing that defines who you are. Your, your personhood is not defined by what you do. Your, your personhood is not defined by what you accomplish in this life. Your personhood is not, is not defined by not defined by the check boxes that you check off day after day after day. Those things do not define who you are. You are defined by a good, loving, risen Savior who knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And even though we are faithless, God is faithful. And upon repentance and belief, he credits his righteousness to us. For us to reclaim the 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 um reclaim our our rightful place as the image bearers of God, all of us are God's creation. All of us were created by a loving and a faithful God, but for all of us, we have renounced the name and the titles and the responsibility and the in the in the um in the in the character that God originally designed us with. But upon repentance and belief, we can have our unrighteousness exchanged for, cred for God's righteousness, credited to us. And in doing so, we now have a, a new name. We now have a new title. We now, now, we now have a new responsibility. We now have new character that is placed inside of us. It's, we didn't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to achieve it. It is given to us by a true and living God. 
and in is being given to us by a true and living God, we can say that we are the people of God and we don't have to work for that. As a result, anything that we do in this kingdom, it's not so that God can see us. It's not so that God can pay attention to us. It's not so that we're not like the, the prophets of Baal who are trying to scream and holler and try to get God to see us and try to get God to know us and try to get God to bless us. We're not like the prophets of Baal that are sitting around trying to gyrate for the, for the glory of God. I'm not knocking anybody who gets their shout on in churches. But if you're doing that to try to get God's attention, God's trying to tell us today, you don't have to get my attention by screaming and hollering for blessings and hollering for breakthrough. And you don't have to do that to get my attention. God often speaks to us in the still small moments. He whispers to us more so than he yells at us. So God is not looking for us to put on a show for him in an attempt to get him to open up his hands. God loves us and whom he loves, he not only blesses, but he chastises as well. And as a result, we can trust that if, a, if, uh, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, God is faithful to give us good gifts as well. And so, again, we don't have to we don't have to achieve anything in order to get God to open his hand. Anything that we do, going to church, reading our Bibles, listening to gospel music, uh, uh, listening to podcasts, uh, talking with our brothers and sisters, teaching, whatever we do. All of those are an effort to deepen our relationship with the Lord, to deepen our connection with him, to draw closer to the God of all creation. It is not an attempt to get God to open his hands. Be faithful in whatever he's calling you to do, but don't let your achievement of what he's put in your hands to do be the thing that's driving you to do what you do. Instead, it should be because he lives, because he died for me, because he gave his life for me, I want to draw closer to him. And whatever way that that, that that happens, to God be the glory. How often, if you really think about it, is the thing that you're doing in the church an opportunity for you to draw closer to the Lord? In your preaching, pastors, are you drawing closer to the Lord or are you just checking off a box for things to do for the congregation? When you're singing your songs in the choir musicians and, 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 and praise and worship leaders and choir members, are you truly singing to the Lord or are you singing so that you can get you can get your song sung for the day? When you're saying your prayers, are you praying because you want to draw closer to the Lord or are you praying because it's the thing that needs to be done? When you say grace over your food, are you saying grace because you're drawing closer to the Lord or are you doing it because it's the thing that needs to be done to make sure I don't get poisoned with this food? Think about it. When you read your Bible, are you reading your Bible to draw closer to the Lord? Or are you reading your Bible just so you can say you read it or to get prepared for the, um, just solely to get prepared for the teaching that you have to teach during a Sunday school or during a Bible study? Again, all of these things are good things, but these things can become God's. If we're not using if we're not using them for their ultimate purpose, which is to draw closer to God. And so, again, I'm saying all this to say it's time to do a heart check. According to the book, God's at war. 
Here's the heart check. Just check your pulse. Number one, how has your life up to now been defined by achievement? Again, speaking downtown me, think back to your childhood. How much was it ingrained in you that you needed to be highly productive, whether in schoolwork or other activities? In what areas did you want to achieve? Once again, these are all positive factors in growing up. Uh, achievement is good, but sometimes we get the idea that what we achieve is who we are or that it determines our value and justifies our existence. Number two, how do you define your identity to others, to yourself? I remember get telling you guys about the lady who I used to work with, and when I introduced myself to her, and she and I and I and I called her Mrs. So and So, she was said, "Oh no, I'm Doctor So and So." Oh, okay. Most of us begin with our name and proceed to our occupation when introducing ourselves to others. It makes sense. We're identifying how we spend a great amount of time and what our important skills are. But to what extent do we consider our work as defining us? Are you your job? Is work the great driving force for your life? Why do you do what you do? Number three, think through what you're currently working hard to achieve. Hard work is good, but why are you doing it? Is it to prove yourself? Is it because of your competitive drive to be the best? Or are you working hard for the glory of God? Number four, when do you feel most guilty or most self-critical? Does a lack of productivity, even for a mere day or a couple of hours, bring you frustration and cause you to feel bad for yourself, bad about yourself? Gordon MacDonald, in his classic book, Ordering Your Private World, talks about the difference between being driven or called. Driven people are highly busy, and they see that as a sign of their success and significance. They don't tend to enjoy their work, but only the results of it, the fact, that the fact of reaching a goal. Guilt is a motivation factor in all they do. Those who are called are people who have learned to feel the freedom of being in the will of God, whom they can experience in the whole process and not simply the results. They are less competitive than others, and they can give themselves permission to fail. The irony is that the end this freedom, the, the, end, the end this freedom to fail often results in, I'm reading that wrong. The irony is in the the irony is in the end this freedom to fail often results in greater accomplishments. I don't like how that so that how I seen this is written. Work and achievements are blessed by God and have been since Adam and Eve received their work assignments in the garden. But they are always of feeling the joy of serving God. Once they become something else, they can be toxic. So do a heart check today, saints. Check your pulse. What is driving what you do? Are you driven by a desire to deepen your relationship with the Lord? 
or are you driven by a desire to be seen, known, and accomplished? Are you defining yourself, your worth, and your value by who you are and who you belong to or by what you do and what you've done? Are you defining your, 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 your personhood by who God says you are or are you defining your personhood by what you are achieving? One way or another, as we've been saying since day one, you're going to worship something. We are all designed to worship something, even if that something is self, which we'll get to at the very end of this book. We're all designed to worship something. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what has your attention? What has your affections? What has your allegiance? Because whatever that thing is, even if that thing is yourself, that is what you are worshiping. That is what you are ascribing ultimate worth and value to. Again, you don't have to bow down or say, do seances or prayers or whatever in an, in an, in, in a, in a, in an attempt to um, worship something. Worship is simply a heart posture that says, I am ascribing ultimate value and worth to something. That this is the reason for my existence. And this is my eternal pursuit. That I am pursuing this thing until I don't want to pursue it no more. And all of us have the tendency, all of us have the, have the pull to worship something. To ascribe ultimate value and worth to something. So simply saints, do a heart check. Because there are, are there things in this world that have the potential to pull us and draw us away from the God that we say that we worship, from the Christ that we say that we believe in. And so we have to always check our pulse just to see who and what are we worshiping, who and what are we valuing, who and what are we ascribing ultimate value and worth to? It's a vibe um, says, so self-love and knowing self-worth is worshiping us. Not necessarily. Again, there's nothing wrong with, be, with, with caring about yourself. Please care about yourself. Even Jesus himself said, love God and love others as you love yourself, right? And so there's nothing wrong with loving yourself and taking care of yourself. Do the things that are, that are in self-care and all that jazz. Do that, but be careful that you are not putting yourself above God, that you care more about yourself than you do the Lord, because at any time that we are placing ourselves above him, then we are falling in the lines of idolatry. And so again, just check your pulse, because sometimes we'll put ourselves before God. We'll put ourselves above him. We will assume the throne of God and say, I know better than he does. I know more than he does. I know what I need more than he does. I know how to take care of myself more than he does. I know how to satisfy myself more than he does. I know how to, you know, how to make myself successful better than he does. I know how to gain love and value and worth better than he does. And we may not say it out loud, but it's a heart posture. It's a heart check. So again, we just got to check our pulse. Because every now and then, there's something or someone 
who has the potential to pull us. And in pulling us, we are allowing them to define who we are, to define how, you know, how we look at ourselves, to define, um, you know, our worth and our value. And as a result, we're saying to God, the things that he said about us, we're casting them to the, to the side in, um, in, in, um, in, in, in substitution. That's not the word I'm looking for. In exchange. There we go. In exchange for, in exchange for what God, for what other people are saying about me. And when you think about it, it's a flesh thing. It's a flesh thing. Our heart's posture, our heart's tendency is to think that we know better than God. Take it all the way back to Adam and Eve. All the way back to Adam and Eve. They thought they knew better than God. And so we all have a tendency. We all have the propensity. We all have the ability to think better than God does. So we, so we dare not say, I, I can't, because we can. We do. We have. And so we have to always be careful that we humble ourselves before the mighty, before the mighty face of God and ask him to check us, check our hearts, check the pulse. Because again, even, even worshiping God can become idolatrous when we are more concerned about the worship itself than the God we worship. So again, check your pulse, check your heart. Because it might be that you're putting yourself in a place unbeknownst to you. Because again, this is deception. This is deceptive work. These idols are coming for your heart. And they play for keeps. And so just take a step back. Ask God, hey, am I truly following you? Am I truly desiring you? Am I truly delighting in you? Or have I, have I um, replaced you? With something else? Am I attempting to replace you with something else? And if so, help me. Help my unbelief so that I don't put myself in position to ever think that I know more than you, to think that I'm better than you, to think that I can figure this out on my own. Because at the end of the day, we all need the Lord in our lives. Saints, check your pulse. Do you have something or someone that you that has the potential to replace the throne the, the, to, to usurp and supplant the throne of God and if so ask God to hey these are my idols these are the things that I'm that I'm that I'm, that I'm putting before you help me to stay strong in you help me to delight my way to delight in you help me to put these things before you so that I don't put myself in position to where I am divorcing myself from the peace that you've given me, the love that you're giving me, the joy that you're giving me, the patience that you're giving me, the kindness that you're giving me, the forgiveness that you're giving me, the power that you're giving me to be able to navigate this world in such a way to where I can rest in the comfort of knowing that I do not have to be defined by the world's standards. There is a standard that God has given me, and there's a standard that Christ has secured for me. I don't have to work for that. I don't have to earn that. I don't have to, you know, climb the ladder to get that. God has given it to me. He's credited it to me. And again, that is the greatest joy that we could ever have, that there is an eternal de definition of who we are. 
an eternal definition of who God has called us to be. And I can rest in that. I don't have to work in that. I can rest in that. And so again, if you find yourself in that place, ask yourself the question, saints, heart check, heart check. Because again, if you know who God is and you know who Christ is, then the idols are coming. And if you know the idols are coming, you can combat them better when you're able to see them for what they are and lay them before the feet of Jesus and ask him to help us to keep Jesus on the throne and to keep the idols on the altar. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are thankful, so, so thankful for um, the 3,200 likes that we've received so far. I don't know where them likes came from, but y'all are freaking awesome. I just appreciate y'all so, so much for the 3,200 likes. Every like, every comment, every follow, every share. Um, if you've missed any part of this message or would like to hear past episodes, you can subscribe to the True Gospel Morning Show, the podcast right now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts um, and listen to every episode from inception to now. Um, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the New York um, State having appointed the Loneliness Ambassador um, to help combat loneliness in the state of New York and what that may mean for us as the believers in God. We'll be right back in just a moment. Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly thankful again for everyone who's come on the live thus far. Um, on today, we're on during our What Would Jesus Say segment. 
Sex therapist Dr. Ruth Westheimer appointed New York State's first loneliness ambassador. The story was printed on Friday, November 10th by Rob Freish and Kristen Rogers. Media personality and sex expert Dr. Ruth Restheimer is now New York State's honorary ambassador to loneliness, a role that's the first of its kind in the nation. Appointed by New York Governor Kathy Hochul Thursday, Westheimer is aiming to help New Yorkers with social isolation, which is associated with physical and mental health issues, such as cardiovascular disease, depression, and earlier death, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. U.S. Surgeon General Vivette Murthy has described the prevalence of loneliness and isolation as a national epidemic among all ages. Hallelujah, Westheimer said in a news release. I am deeply honored and promised the governor that I will work day and night to help New Yorkers feel less lonely. As New York State works to combat its loneliness epidemic, some help from Honorary Ambassador Ruth Westheimer may, just, may be just what the doctor ordered, Governor Hochul said in a statement. Westheimer, a psychosexual therapist and author of more than 37 books, rose to prominence in, don't care about that, under Hochul's leadership, New York is working to create age-friendly communities and build a more robust system of mental health care, according to the news release. Last year, Governor Hochul signed an executive order to create the state's first ever master plan for aging to ensure older New Yorkers can live healthy, fulfilling lives while aging with dignity and independence. Greg Olson, New York State's director of its Office for the Aging, said in a statement that he's looking forward to working with Dr. Ruth Westheimer to raise awareness of initiatives already implemented at the New York State Office for the Aging to combat loneliness and isolation, building on these successes across all ages. Hochul's office cited a 2020 study by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, which found more than one-third of adults age 45 or older experience loneliness with nearly one-fourth of adults age 65 or older considered socially isolated. A sense of being alone defines loneliness, while social isolation is an object lack of social connections. More recent studies have also emphasized the importance of social connection, finding that a lack of certain types, such as never being visited by friends or family or feeling like you have someone to confide in, is associated with a higher risk of dying early from any cause. Social isolation has also been linked to cognitive decline, anxiety, and weakened immunity. The appointment of Westheimer delivers upon a charge issued by multiple academies who, in the studies of social connection, argued that loneliness and social isolation isn't just a personal issue for individuals to solve on their own, but a problem in need of policy-based support as well. Um, for decades, the public has turned to Dr. Ruth Westheimer as an authority with wide-reaching influence who spoke to us eloquently and candidly about issues that are fundamental to who we are and how we interact with one another in a complex world. I can think of no one better than Dr. Ruth Westheimer to connect with New Yorkers of all ages and help elevate the issue on social isolation, which is among our top public health challenges, albeit a hidden one. Um... Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. We been knew this. 
We've been through this. But thank God that people are catching up. You know, thank God that people are catching up. Um, God did not build us for isolation. He did not build us to live life by ourselves, to do life by ourselves. He built us for community. He built us for companionship. He built us for togetherness. The body of Christ, the body of Christ is designed to where we cannot exist in isolation. While I'm looking for it, do you know how many one another's there are in the New Testament? At least 57 of them. One another, one another, one another, one another. Clearly, God wasn't expecting us to do this whole, this whole Christian thing by ourselves. There is an individual component to it, but we were never meant to do Christ by ourselves. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse number three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith as God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one to another. He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. First, um, number 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We were not meant to do life in Christ by ourselves. We were not designed to do this faith walk on alone. We were not meant to do this by ourselves. We were designed and built with community in mind. So we, the believers in God, we should know that loneliness is a problem. We should already know that. It shouldn't take having an ambassador on lo um, for loneliness control for us to realize isolation is a problem. For all the good that the, um, that the pandemic taught us when it came to, um, you know, not needing to be in a 501c3 organization in order to have a relationship with the Lord, it also has crippled a lot of us when it comes to connecting with the people of God. Some of us have grown so paranoid, you know, to people that we don't even want to deal with church folk anymore. We don't even want to deal. We don't even want to deal with our brothers and sisters anymore. We are very much content with catching our worship services and catching our church, you know, Bible studies online in the comforts of our own home and never having to deal with anybody anymore. While it's good that we have this technology, while it's good that we're able to share knowledge with one another through these platforms, it does not 
Um, it, it, it only it's supposed to be a supplement to the relationships and the connections that we have with the body of Christ. It is not supposed to be a replacement. And our hearts know it. Our hearts yearn to connect among our brothers and sisters routinely from one for, at one point or another throughout our walks of life. I'm not saying that we have to, that we have to, H-A-V-E-2, go to a church in order to connect to people. We can connect to people in a host of ways. But again, we cannot neglect, we cannot forsake the assembling one to an, of one, with one another. And so however we're doing that, it's got to become a regular rhythm within us. It's got to be a regular pattern within us. Because if we're not careful, we will find ourselves being isolated. And when we isolate ourselves, when we isolate ourselves from the people that we say are our brothers and sisters, then we are only allowing um, room for the enemy to take our minds and to take our hearts captive by virtue of us not having anyone to sharpen us as iron sharpens iron. We need people in our lives to help us to see the things that we may not, we may not be able to see. Um, Matt Chandler said it like this, you know, when we have brothers and sisters around us, they can check us for our blind spots. Blind spots are blind spots because we can't see them. But thank God that we have brothers and sisters that can undergird, undergird us and show us, hey, you might not need to be going in that direction. Or, hey, can I talk to you about this text? Because this text is, you know, can we, you know, let's have a discussion. Let's talk. Let's figure out what's going on. Sometimes just to be able to tell somebody, hey, how's your soul doing today? Hey, how are you feeling today? Hey, is everything okay? Is everything good? Is everything all right? Let's have a conversation. Sometimes those things, those conversations do wonders for the soul. But if we're living in isolation, if we're doing, doing God by ourselves and we never talk to anybody, especially in the faith, about our faith walk, then we're only crippling the power that God has given us through the power of community. Again, you know, me, me, myself, I have, you know, certain issues with church. I ain't going to lie because, you know, church folk can be churchy, you know. But at the same time, you know, we have to find, we have to find uh, or allow God to show us our three or four brothers and sisters that we can actually do life with, share life with, connect with on a deep, on a deep spiritual level so that we can grow as the body of Christ, I am not suggesting that you have to get to know 5,000 people. I'm not suggesting that. There is no way that we can get to know 5,000 people. But at least two or three. There should be two or three people that we consider our closest friends, our closest um, connections, our closest spiritual you know, advisors or whatever the case is. Not to replace God. Let's keep it, keep it a buck. Not to replace God, but to at the very least have a connection with in this world because we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, not I. I am not the body of Christ. One person does not make up the body of Christ. Our body is so expansive. Our people are, 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 are so um, are global 
As a matter of fact, I remember at one point when I was um, doing this previous ministry, doing a previous um, iteration of this ministry, there are people from Africa that I was talking to on a regular basis, people in Asia that I was talking to on a regular basis, people all over the world that were talking to me and we were sharing truth and sharing knowledge. I remember one time, you know, I'm sitting on my Facebook and I'm just kind of chilling or whatever. And this dude, you know, messaged me and says, hey, we're having worship service right now. You mind t talking to the people? I'm like, what? What you mean talking to the people? They put me on live and I'm literally talking to people, you know, via speakerphone in Africa, you know, to their congregation. Like that is how expansive our body is. We have the we have such a, a a reach in this world that if we step outside of our boxes and connect with people on a much deeper spiritual level, who knows where we could be in our walk with God? The pandemic, for all its good that it's given us, for all the good that it has allowed us to have in terms of being able to connect in ways we've never done before, TikTok has blown up, Zoom blew up. You know, we don't have to meet face to face anymore. It has crippled us in that it is just fur it's further causing us to hyper individualize our walk with God. And God never intended for us as the believers in God to do life in isolation. He never designed us for that for that um for for that type of for that type of existence. The fact that they've had to appoint a loneliness ambassador in the state of New York is just further proof that we were never meant to live in isolation. The, the, the pandemic really messed a lot of us up, really, really damaged a lot of our souls because, again, we disconnected from a lot of the people that we care about, disconnected from a lot of people that were, that were major parts and players in our lives. And as a result, even now, we find some of us who, you know, are working from home. I got a person that I, um, that, you know, that I work with, um, but we, but you know, I'm working in my house. She's working in her house and she says she misses the camaraderie. She misses the connection. She misses working in an office. She misses having coworkers so much so that they're putting together little things here and there for people to connect in because it's like, dude, I don't get to talk to anybody except my clients. If it ain't my clients, it's my family and my family ain't here for most of the day. So it's literally just me talking to people about problems and I want to talk to people, but I don't want my whole day, my whole, you know, eight hour work day to be just about talking about problems. I would like to talk about the sport, what happened on in sports on, on Sunday or, you know, the, the fact that the, the actor strike ended, which we're going to talk about at the end of the show, about a great, hallelujah, you know, or, you know, talk about my favorite TV shows or talk about what's going on or, you know, or anything like that, or talk about my frustrations and talk about my issues and things like that. Like, I want people in my life to be able to have that. We as the believers in God have already been given that blueprint. Hear me when I say Christians, hear me when I say saints, we've already been given that blueprint. This isn't news. The fact that we need people, that's not news. The songwriter said, I need you, you need me, we're all in God, we're all a part of God's body, stand with me, agree with me, we're all a part of God's body, it's in his will that every need be supplied, you are important to me, I need you to survive, that, we've already had the blueprint on that. Since the foundation of the world, when God said, let us make man, 
in the beginning God created heaven and earth. In the beginning, the word was in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity in one. They've already set the standard. They've already run the table. We cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot live this Christian walk by ourselves. We need people in our lives. Whether, whether again, it be in a 501c3 organization or whether it be in our regular daily lives, we need people in our lives so that we can walk this faith walk together. We were never meant to walk this faith walk alone. There will be days where we are by ourselves or we got to get in that, that, that closet and hear from that still small voice. So I'm not saying we just need to be connected all the time. I'm not saying that. There has to be a rhythm between being alone, being together, being alone, being together, being alone, being together. Jesus, Jesus provided us a blueprint of that when he oftentimes would go off by himself to pray. The boys weren't with him. Peter, James, and John weren't with him. None, it was just him and the Lord. And then he would come back and would gather with his people gather with the disciples, gather with the three, do what he's doing, but then he'd go back and be by himself. So there was a regular rhythm of isolation, connectedness. Isolation, connectedness. So I am not suggesting that we need to be connected to people all the time. We, as the book told, as, as God's at War told us, and what we're going to get into in just a moment, we got to get used to being alone sometimes. Being able to still the the, 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 in order to, and, and sit in silence and meditate on the word of God and meditate on him and meditate on his truth and be able to spend time alone with the Lord. We need to, we have to be able to get in a place where we can silence things so that we can hear more clearly from him. No doubt about that. And we need a good set of brothers and sisters, whether it's at a 501c3 organization that we are spending time with, you know, on a regular basis on every Sunday, or whether it's through having coffee with friends at least once a week or twice a week or whatever, so that we, the believers in God, can have a regular rhythm and pattern of delighting ourselves in the Lord in isolation and delighting ourselves in the Lord in community. This loneliness ambassador, Dr. Westheimer, what she what she's been appointed to do is a work that we the believers been doing. The 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 the, the pandemic kind of crippled us a little bit, and now we're combating that. You know, urging people to come back to church. But I also urge the people who are telling people to come back to church don't have an attitude with people who are who are coming back to church and not coming back fast enough for you. Don't have an attitude with them about that, because again. You know, you you, pro, you pose an attitude toward them. That's only going to make them not want to show up even more. So keep that in mind. Nevertheless, we're urging people to come back so that we can connect together with the almighty God. That corporate worship is a, is a necessary thing. That worshiping together is a necessary thing. It is a good work that glorifies God. We don't have, we, we can worship in isolation. No doubt about that. And we worship together 
We celebrate together. We pray together. We read together. We talk together. We eat together. We, 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 do, we do things together. I mean, think if you think about it, the marriage is a picture. Marriage is a picture of how God wants us to be connected together. That's a picture of who of how God who how God wants us to live not in isolation but in connectedness. And so again, we got to be ever so careful. I, I think that's one of my favorite phrases, ever so careful that we are not living in a state of perpetual isolation. There must be a rhythm between isolation and connectedness. Isolation and connectedness. So that we are living in the truth that God has prescribed to us when he said in the word, it is not good for man to be alone. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly thankful for the 3,500 likes that we have received on today. Thank you for every like, every comment, every follow, and every share. Um, if you have missed any part of this message or would like to go back and listen to past episodes, feel free to stop by Spotify and Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the True Gospel Morning Show, the podcast. Um, and you can listen to every episode from inception to now. Uh, we certainly thank you for the gifts that you've given to the True Gospel Ministry on today as well. Certainly grateful to you for that. When we come back in our sanctification session, we're going to talk about submitting to the King. We're going to be talking about submitting to the King. We'll be right back in just a moment.
watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly, again, thankful for the 3,500 likes that we've received thus far. Feel free to keep those likes coming so that way it lets um, TikTok know to keep us on and to keep pushing us forward um, to those who are coming on their various TikToks and um, deciding whether or not they want to keep listening to me or whether they want to push on to somebody else. Um, in our sanctification session today, we're going to be talking about submitting to the king, submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and I want to start um, by talking about, by going to Matthew chapter 6, looking at verses number 9 through 13. Verses 9 through 13. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Embedded within that prayer are the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For us as the believers in God, um, and you know, I'm, and I'm ripping this straight from, um, the dad's sermon from yesterday, the part that really stood out to me. Um, we, as the people of God have a tendency to not submit our will to the Lord. There is a, there's a tendency in the hyper individualized culture of church that we live in today where we spend more time trying to get God to bend to our will than we do bend, bending our will to his. We want God to do what we want him to do, rather than saying that we want to do what God wants us to do. So when we pray the prayer, thy will be done, what we're really saying to God is, my will be done, and God tag your name on it. We forget the words of the prophet Isaiah when Isaiah said that God said that he was going to replace the heart of stone with a heart of flesh and he would pour his spirit into us. And in pouring his spirit into us, he would cause us to walk out his precepts. That when he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, we are now submitting our entire lives to God. Whatever his will is, is what we want. It is what we want, is what we desire to do in our heart of hearts. There will be days where we wish that God would pull us in a different direction. Like, God, I do not want to do this. I, this is not what I want. As, the, as, as Christ shows us in, at the, in the prayer of Gethsemane, I do not want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will, right? And so there will come times and there will come circumstances where our will bucks up against the will of God. What we want bucks up against the will of God. What we want to do bucks up against the will of God. And at that point, we got to make a choice. Are we going to do what God is calling us to do? What we're feeling led by him to do? What we feel this is the direction that he's pushing me in? Or am I going to fight against him? 
and keep trying to do what I want to do. Because this is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what I need. Our tendency as the people of God, or a tendency of ours can be that we think we know better than God does. And so our will, the things that we want to do, we're asking God to endorse it. Asking him to rubber stamp it. Asking him to approve of it. David, love God. Love God. God after, man after God's own heart. Wanted to build a sanctuary, a temple for the Lord. It's his desire. It's his heart. I, this is what I want to do. I want to do this for you, Lord. I want to do this for you. God tells him, no. You're not going to build it for me. You're going to gather all the materials, but you're not going to build it. Solomon, your son, is going to build it. I know you want to, but I, but I don't want you to. I want Solomon to do it. Can you imagine? I want to do this for God so badly. And God says, no, you can't. No, you can't. I don't want you to do that. I want you to do something different. I want you to do something else. I am. I want you to gather everything, gather all the materials, but I want your son to build the house. Not you. I want your son to do it. Saul. Old, Old Testament Saul, not New Testament Saul. Old Testament Saul. It's given a charge by Samuel. God wants you to go into this 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 area and wipe everybody out. Take them down. They have sinned against God. They have blasphemed his name. They are the scum of the earth. God is ordering you to wipe them out. Saul goes in and doesn't do what God told him to do. You know, he captures the king instead of wiping them out. He Captures women instead of wiping them out. Captures the good stuff instead of wiping it out. Destroying, burning the whole city down. Comes back. And Samuel's like, Bruh, what did you do? God gave you a specific instruction. And you didn't do it. And much like Adam and Eve bickering about who gave me what and how it happened and the serpent did it and all this. Here comes Saul it wasn't me that did it. I did what he told me to do. It was your people that, 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 it was the people that did it. Under whose instruction? Come on, bro. Come on. You had one job. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Do what God told you to do. Why did you make this complicated? For the, us, the believers in God, when we submit our plans to the Lord. God will yea or nay them. Because there is a certain thing that he is asking us to do. It is exact, there's things that he's desiring for us to do. And he's placed us strategically in areas in order to do the things that he is calling us to do. For the sake of making his name known. And for the sake of disciples being made. And so we have to be so, we have to be again ever so careful. You know how I love to say that. Ever so careful. That we are not putting ourselves in God's throne and saying, 
not your will, but my will be done. Give me what I want and rubber stamp it. Again, I just got done saying earlier how many of us go to church with the expectation of God blessing us for our worship. How many people do we follow on Facebook and all the other platforms and love it when they say, you're next in line, you're one prayer away, your breakthrough is coming, your, 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 the thing you've been praying for is coming, you just got to keep praying, keep praying, keep going, keep doing, it's coming, it's coming. And time after time, God has said, no, nah. Mm -mm. Nope. But we are so convinced, like the prophets of Baal, that if I keep worshiping, that I keep singing, if I keep hollering, if I keep screaming, if I keep running, if I keep crying, if I keep praising, then God is obligated to make my will be done. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't operate like that. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. What God has in store for us is, it is light years beyond anything that we could fathom as it pertains to his will being done. So we, the people of God, we have to learn how to submit our entire lives to God. To say to God, I am at peace in my soul giving you my life, my whole life, the job, the marriage, the kids, my endeavors, my hobbies, my aspirations, my dreams, I lay them all in your hands. They're all in your hands. Whatever you want this to do, make it prosper. Make it happen. Because, Lord, it's in your hands. It's not in mine. It's in yours. Whatever you want this thing to do, whatever it is, shoot for your dreams. Go to school. Go to college. Get your degrees. Get your, get your positions. Do your thing. But always, always in your heart, because God going to do what he want to do regardless. In your heart, leave room for God to do his thing. Because if you fix your heart on what you want, you will miss what God is doing in your life. Watching New Amsterdam. And my boy, um... Oh, the, the heart surgeons. Um, I can't. I can't think of his name right now. That's gonna bother me. No, I got No, I got to figure out what his name is. What his name is? New Amsterdam. Floyd. Floyd Reynolds. <clears throat> so, my boy Floyd takes his girl. Takes his girlfriend. Looking at his girl, his girlfriend to meet the parents, meet the family. And of course they, they dogging her, you know, like 
folk do, you know, I, I, you know, where'd you get your degree from? What are you doing for a living? Blah, blah, blah. Make sure that she fits in the family. Boy's like, listen, I'm trying to marry a mom. Like, I'm ready to get that ring so I can put it on her finger. And she's like, no, that's not, that woman's not good enough for you. Because your whole life, you've wanted this family. You've wanted this picture. This has been what you wanted. This big family with the kids and all that stuff. You're, that girl is not about that life. She don't cook. She don't clean. She's not going to, you know, be running around chasing children down and building a major family. Like, that's not going to be her thing. So you got to decide, you, you know, when you know what you want, come holler, come holler back at me because she's the exact antithesis to what you said you wanted. And so him and his girlfriend are walking down the, um, walking the, um, walking the, the sidewalk and can tell something's on his mind. And so she's like, you know, did I do something wrong? I thought dinner went well. And he said, you know, my whole life, I've imagined my life being like my mom's life. And you don't fit that. And I realized for the first time, I don't know what my future looks like. But I would much rather have you in my future than to have if than to have a future like than to have any other future at all. So I ain't got a ring. I ain't I ain't I didn't I had a ring, but you know my mama ring. I don't have anything to give you, but will you do me the honor of spending the rest of your life with me? Will you marry me? And she's like, oh, yes, and, you know, tears and snot, kisses, all that junk. And that is a picture for us as the believers in God. Are we ready and willing to submit? Because sometimes what we want doesn't look like how or what rather what God wants for us doesn't look like what we want it to look like. What God has in store for us doesn't look like how we think it ought to look. It's not going to come together the way that we want it to. It's not going to come together the way that we envisioned it in our minds. It's not going to come together the way that we always saw it working out. Sometimes God will do a miraculous thing in our lives in a very unexpected way. But are we in position to receive it? Are we in position to do it? Are we in position to, to conquer it through total submission to the Lord? Will we kick against what God has for us? Because we want so badly for things to go my way. I tell my clients, I tell my some of my clients like this sometimes. I had a client who have a, I had a client who came to me last week and he was telling me, "Man, listen, I've listened to everything that you said. I've taken into consideration every intervention you've given me. I've done everything that you that 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 you well, I've listened to everything that you said, but I just don't feel motivated to do any of it." I don't feel the motivation to do any of it. I want help. I want to be different. I want to, I want to, I want to, I don't want to be like this anymore. But I'm just not motivated to do anything. I just don't want to do it. 
I, I know everything. I know everything you've told. I've got the books. I've got this. I've got that. I just don't feel motivated to do anything. And I and I and I said to him, you know, right now you are like a person who is drowning in shallow water. All you got to do is stand up. All you, I throw, I can throw a life raft at you. I can throw a lifesaver at you. I can get a kayak to come next to you. I can pull a tugboat next to you. I can go get a battleship to stand next to you. I can get somebody to drain the lake. And somehow you would still find a way to drown in shallow water when all you have to do is stand up. You're looking to be saved a specific way. When I've given you everything that you need to do what's necessary to get yourself out of the pit. So when you're ready to stop drowning in shallow water, stand up. We sometimes want God to save us or redeem us or fix us or put our lives together the way we envisioned it. But God is saying to us, not your will, you, my will be done. So we got to ask ourselves the question, are we truly submitted to God? The heart that beats inside of us is not ours. It belongs to the Lord. So are we marching to the drum of the Holy Spirit? Or are we continuously just living a life that we want to live and trying to tag God's name on it? Are we truly being led by the Holy Spirit? Or are we faking the funk in front of people when in reality, I'm living my life my way and I just hope that God is, you know, approving of the way that I live? And you know, you know, if you're truly living a life submitted to God, or if you're only doing what's convenient for the kingdom. Think about the gods that we've gone through in the gods at war book. You know, how many of us are committing fornication in the kingdom? How many of us are lying in the kingdom? How many of us are, um, are gambling in the kingdom? How many of us are shooting up drugs in the kingdom how many of us are judging others in the kingdom how many of us are gossiping in the kingdom how many of us are lazy in the kingdom we're saying we're submitting to god but have we truly submitted our will our plans our desires our ways to the almighty god so again heart check are we truly sold out? We make our plans, but it's God who orders our steps. Are our steps truly ordered by the Lord? Or are we ordering them and hoping that we get God's, um, God's blessing? So, of course, the question then becomes, how do I know what God wants me to do? 
How do I know what God wants me to do? It's very, it, and it's, it's, it's very simple, but it just takes spiritual discernment. It takes a connection with God, okay, having a connection with him. Whatever it is that's, that you feel is purposed in your heart to do, you know whether or not it's a good thing that glorifies God. That's number one. If what you're about to do is not going to glorify and honor God, you already know. This ain't God. So stop. Just, just stop. This is, you are, if you already know this ain't going to bring glory to God, quit. Quit it. Like God is calling me to have a wife and a girlfriend. Stop. Stop. You already know. Nah, bruh. Stop. Stop. No, that ain't happening. Okay? Quit it. If you know that what you're doing or what you want to do will honor and glorify God, then simply make a choice. Are you going to do it or are you not? If you're feeling it's purposed in your heart, it, it doesn't, again, that doesn't take a whole lot of rocket science. If you know that it honors and glorifies God, do it. And then after a certain point in time, if things are going well, to God be the glory. If things are not going as well, to God be the glory. Back out, take a step back, modify, whatever, but keep doing what God has called, what God, you're feeling compelled to do in the name of the Lord. Again, continue to consult the scriptures. If, it, if, the, God, if the voice that's telling you to do what you're doing doesn't sound like God in the scriptures, chances are it ain't him. Because God's not going to tell you something that's going to contradict his word. So God's not going to tell you to do something that's going to contradict his way. Not going to contradict his voice. So if what he's telling you to do don't sound like him, chances are it ain't him. More than likely, it's not him. Um, but again, do what you do. And if you feel the compulsion to back out or step back or think of it differently, honor the movement of God. Because again, we're not going to get it right all the time. Right here with the show. Um, next week, for example, taking a whole week off for Thanksgiving. And then we come back modifying the show. Modifying the show because God is instructing me that in order for my body to get the proper rest that it needs, in order to keep moving forward the things that he wants me to do with my life and with my family and with the kids and all that, I got to step back. I got to take some measures. I got to institute some measures in order to make sure that I'm extending my life. I love the show, but again, this is just one of many vehicles that God is using to get the, to get the glory out of us, uh, get glory out of me. And however he deems fit of how often the show should go, this is his this is his show. It's not my show. And I'm recognizing what he's trying to tell me just by virtue of what happened on Friday. I've been the most I've had the most rest in this past week and this weekend alone just from not doing the show on Friday. And that spoke to my spirit as God is speaking to me to say, hey, bro, need to back up. Need to slow down a little bit, you know. You, you, Rome ain't built in a day, and you can this, this, this show. It, it's, it's great, but at what expense? And I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. And if, if, and because it's cutting into my, you know, devotion time with the Lord, I gotta take a step back. And that's okay, because it's God's will, not my will. 
So again, saying all that to say, submit yourself to the king. Submit your plans to the king. Submit yourself to the almighty God and watch him do wonders in a, in a, in a great work in your life. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Stop now, 30. I, I forgot what your name was. I hadn't seen you back here in a minute. Thank you so much for these likes. I mean, you are hitting this button like it ain't nobody's business, and I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for the likes, the comments, the follows, and the shares. Um, I do thank you guys so, so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you for all the comments. Um, if you have, if you've missed any part of this message or would like to listen to past episodes, feel free to stop by Spotify and Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the True Gospel Morning Show right now and listen to all of our episodes from inception to now. Um, thank you also for the gifts. Know that your gifts are not going to me. I got my own job, pay my own bills, make my own money. Every dime that you give goes straight to the True Gospel Ministry to keep up our subscriptions and to keep up our um, our podcasts. And so, again, thank you guys so much for your gifts. We appreciate you in that endeavor. And um, when we come back, we're going to answer the question from the chat box, which day is the Sabbath day? We'll be right back in just a moment. the true gospel morning show with your boy eddie d right here on tiktok live with you monday through friday 6 a.m to 8 a.m eastern standard time um from the chat box last week we got this question what which day is the sabbath day um and so i want to read from matthew chapter um 12 and i also want to look at the book of hebrews um but i'll get to it in a minute i'll get to it in a minute um Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse number one. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, 
Have you not read when David David did when he was hungry and how, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. If we go to the, um, the book of Luke... Uh, I can remember if I can find it. One Sabbath, Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus said, responded to the lawyers and Pharisees by saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? that they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Um, there's one final place. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse number 11, we find these words here. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. If we go back to verse number 8 of that same chapter, it says, If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest, for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did. So, what day is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is not a day, the Sabbath is a person. Jesus is the Sabbath. See, our problem, once again, is that we try to codify everything we do. And so, some people get frustrated. Saturday is the Sabbath day. Got a whole denomination dedicated to that. Seventh-day Adventists. Convinced that if you're worshiping God on Sunday, then you're not worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
You got people who say, well, you know, the New Testament, they started worshiping on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. You know, the day that he rose from the dead. So that's the day that we worship. You got a whole bunch of people who are mad about that. Jesus said, the rest that I'm calling us into is not about a day. It's not about a day to render worship to me. Yes, have your regular rhythm of worship to me, but that is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about resting, not about worshiping. It's about resting. And Jesus is the Sabbath. He is Lord of the rest, Lord of the sit down, Lord of the relax, Lord of the chill out, Lord of the sit in gratitude, Lord of sit and think about how, what I've done for you and what I've accomplished for you, Lord of the you can rest now, Lord of the cast all your cares upon me and I will give you rest for your souls. That's what the Sabbath is. It's not a day. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. Everything about the Sabbath was a shadow of Jesus. A shadow of the rest that he has ushered us into in our souls in preparation for the eternal rest that is to come for each and every one of us who believes and, and endures to the end. That is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not a day. It's a person. Per usual, though, we can't get out our own way. And because we have to have codes and creeds and doctrines and rules and practices, we took the word Sabbath and completely divorced it from what God was ushering us into and have now turned Sabbath into a shackle. We've now turned, we now turn, again, my internet's acting like a pedonkus. We've turned, you know, you know, the Sabbath into a practice. We've turned, we've turned Sabbath into a ritual. We've turned Sabbath into something that we do rather than something that we can rest in. We rest in Jesus. And in resting in Jesus, we rest in rest. Because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Once again, we, 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 we we're so quick to to create rituals and then worship the rituals ratchet rather than rather than worship the God of the ritual. Why, why we have so many denominations is because so many people want to worship God their way. And it's fine, except your way ain't the only way and it's not the right way. There's so many methods and methodologies to worshiping God and liturgy to worshiping God that it's insane. But we have we will divide ourselves over this stuff. Oh, if you don't do whole body baptism, then you're not you're not saved. You can't baptize babies. You know, you, you can't like, oh my God, you're not worshiping God right. In order to be a Christian, you gotta be a member of a church. We codify and we indoctrinate people by these practices that Christ came to dismantle. Every practice in the Old Testament law and codes and creeds were all shadows of Jesus. 
And when Jesus arrived, he fulfilled the law, not so that we can go back and worship the law, but that we could worship him. And in him, he would cause us to walk out the precepts, which he said are love God and love one another. And upon these hang everything else. And so again, we see the Sabbath is not a day. It's a person. We are not to rest in a day or this day be sacred to the Lord. Jesus is the sacred one. And we adore and we worship him. And so again, saying all that to say, the Sabbath is not a day. The Sabbath is a person. Do your worship and have your worship on your days. But also keep in mind that God is to be worshipped 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days of the year. So everything you do should roll up to worship to the Almighty God. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D as best as you can because my internet has been a badonkus all morning long. So I do thank you if you've been able to watch and stay on. Um, and so again, I do appreciate y'all for your support. Um, for our uh, something praiseworthy today, the actor strike is over. Woo! Yeah! The actor strike is over. Hallelujah! Praise Jesus! We get our TV shows back. Woo! I don't know about you, but I'm tired of these doggone game shows that keep showing up and these reality TV shows that are ain't, ain't but, but garbage. Can't stand them joints. So I am grateful that the strike is over. The writer's strike is over. The actor's strike is over. They're going back to work. Starting January, we should have some shows again. Woo! Who is happy? Me. I am. Okay, if nobody else is, I am certainly happy. And I thank God that it is finally over. I'm going to read this story to you guys because I am so flipping excited. The actor strike is finally over. Here's what's in the new SAG-AFTRA contract. After 118 exhausting days, that's my exhaustion, Hollywood actor strike is officially concluded, and now we have a better idea of what the members of SAG-AFTRA have won in the union's new minimum contract agreement. The board voted Friday to approve the new contract with an 86% approval rate. Up next, the contract will go to the membership for ratification. Um, it includes higher wages, a bonus for actors on successful streaming projects, and guardrails against artificial intelligence. To account for inflation, SAG-AFTRA demanded an 11% general wage increase for the first year of the contract. The alliance countered with an um, offer of 5%. The new contract compromised with a 7%, which includes more than a billion dollars in new wages and a benefit plan funding. Woo! Um, also secured consent and compensation guardrails on the use of AI. Under the new contract's rules, a studio must obtain an actor's informed consent, which they should have been doing, before creating or using a digital replica of a performer, whether they are an A-list star or a background actor. You better say it. Crabtree Ireland told reporters that AI was one of the most divisive issues in the negotiation room, particularly with regards to generative AI 
or the creation of an entirely synthetic performer. Quote, that was the piece that came together on the very last day, on day 118 of the strike. We feel that there is a robust and comprehensive set of protections for our members against the implementation of AI in the industry. It allows the industry to go forward. It does not block AI, but it makes sure that performers are protected. Their rights to consent are protected, and their rights to fair compensation and employment are protected. You better get it! As for streaming residuals, the AMPTP had essentially rejected all of SAG-AFTRA's proposals and initial negotiations. The new contract establishes a streaming participation bonus for the first time, compensating performers in addition to traditional residuals. Other wins include improved relocation benefits, regulations on self-taped auditions, and increased residuals for stunt performers. This was so good. Um, the strike officially... Uh, the strike officially ended thir early Thursday morning, concluding a 118-day standoff in the longest actor strike in Hollywood's history. Under the New Deal, actors are allowed to return to work, and members are expected to formally approve the contract by voting in the next few weeks. When I tell you I am so flippin' excited, thank God! But more importantly, I'm glad they got what they wanted. Because, again, I completely understand where they're coming from when it comes to making sure that they're being... Um, 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 rightfully compensated for the work that they do. Um, when AI um, came into existence and it's in heavy ro rotation this year, especially, a lot of actors got nervous and worried because it's very easy just to doctor up somebody and say that this is this person or this is that person without somebody's permission. And that ain't right. If you're going to use my likeness, then I'm going to get paid for that. Because you're putting my name on something that I might not necessarily have approved of. And so if, I, if you're telling, if you're using my face to sell a product that goes against everything that I stand for, I think I deserve the right to have been in that room to say yay or nay to you using my image, using my likeness. If I have a successful show that's, that's being binge watched and y'all are getting paid for that, but I'm not, I think I should get a cut of that. Absolutely, because it's my acting skills, it's my acting chops, it's my, you know, delivery of the lines and everything that comes with it that is allowing this show to be successful. And so, no, you know, I don't think it's fair that you get to get all the money for it. And I don't just because it's on a streaming platform and not on a broadcast network, you know, and I definitely do believe that I should be getting given more benefits. Like, you know, I need proper health care. I need proper, you know, um safety measures in place, I need, you know, minimum compensation for the things that I do, like, those things matter when it comes to doing the work that is to be done, whether you are an A-list star, or whether you are a background star that nobody knows, everybody deserves to get paid for what they do, and so, yes, you know, as my wife was talking about the other day, she's like, that doesn't necessarily, I mean, it does that mean that they're necessarily going to get a minimum um, payment according to the, what the um, contract says, yes, um, now, I don't know how that works out from one studio to another, um, but everybody will get paid for what they do um, much better than they had in the past. And so I'm grateful and thankful that they came to their senses. Um, there are some people that say that, you know, that it's the fact that they got nothing slated for January and the spring hope that may be able to compensate for, for the losses in the fall and they don't have any summer blockbusters being made for 2024, which is what pushed them to finally get this done. Look, whatever it took, because again, at the end of the day, what were we always saying? Money, it, 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 it talks. 
And if they start losing money, start bleeding out money, oh, okay, well, we need to make this thing work then so that way these people can get to work and get us paid. And so, again, I don't like it. I don't like that that's the bottom line that finally probably pushed the um the, the ball over the goalpost. But as it says in the scripture, even a shrewd person, you know, can, can make a whole lot of sense. And if they can make sense, then how can we, the, the believers, do the same? And so, again, um, saying all that to say, um, I'm grateful that they got what they wanted, grateful that they got what they needed, and grateful that we're able to now, they're able to now get back to work, and in doing so, we can get to watching our favorite shows and movies once again um, on the on the big screens and the small screens, and so grateful to the, grateful for them and grateful for what they've been able to accomplish, and hope and pray that we are able to enjoy their work, and we thank God that these people can get back to work, so hallelujah for the, for the strike finally coming to an end so that way I can watch my shows and all these reality TV shows can finally go somewhere because I, if I see one more iteration of Big Brother or one more iteration of Love Island, I, I, bruh, it, anyway, thank y'all so much for watching the, um, the True Gospel Born show with me this morning. I'm sorry for all the technical difficulties if you experienced any of them, but certainly grateful that you stayed on. Thank you, stop person 30, whoever you were, for the 5,700 likes that you helped put on this board today. Thank you for every like, comment, follow, and share. Thank you for every question that was asked has been put on the um, list for the future episode. Thank you guys again so much for your participation. Thank you for watching the True Gospel Morning Show. As always, if you can't see the good, be the good. I love you guys. Peace out, homies.